One of the fun things about becoming a Presbyterian minister is you get to participate in what's called the um, the examination process, the ordination examination process. And part of that is a bunch of written exams where they test, you know, uh, basically well, once you learn the secret, all of the exams boil down to saying no like a pastor. So whether it's a theological question or a Bible question, it's always, no, you can't do that. And you're supposed to say it like a pastor. If you just say no, you can't do it, then you fail. And I've got some failure exams to prove that. But just take them over until you get the hang of it. And then you say, okay, I got this. Okay, I figured this out. So saying no like a pastor, that's the, that's the written part. But then there is the oral examination, which is conducted on the floor of Presbyterian. And a lot of the questions you get there are, are kind of softball questions. Tell us about your sense of call. Tell us, you know... Is Jesus good or not? Things like that. Um, but there's usually, on, in a Presbyterian, there'll be people who see it as their, their calling in life to humiliate pastors. And the way they do that is by becoming, you know, there's a bunch of ways. They'll ask you, you know, uh, theological questions that, that are only going to get you in trouble or things like that. Or, uh, in, in my case, they ask you kind of stump-the-chump uh, Bible trivia questions. And um, I knew that there was a guy in my presbytery who viewed that as his as his uh, as his colleague, because I talked to other people who'd been before me, and so I, I was uh, I thought I was prepared, but but he asked me to uh, name all of the uh, uh, covenants in the Old Testament of the Bible, and I got through Noah, uh, who is in chapter six of Genesis, and then I blanked. I had no idea who the other covenants were with. And the reason I tell you all this is because we're, we're reading one of them right here today. This is what is called the Davidic Covenant. What happens throughout the Old Testament is that periodically God makes a covenant with people. Uh, it's kind of like a contract, but it's kind of different. Because a contract uh, is something you can go in and have enforced before another authority, right? I decide to sell my house, and then if I back out of it, you can take me to court, and the judge will sort that out. And, and that's what a contract is like. But a covenant... Is God doing the same thing? And who are you going to take God to court with? Right? There's nobody who can enforce God to do anything. So periodically God just says flatly, I'm going to do this. Just because I'm God, I want to bless you in these different ways, and I'm going to do that. So, so periodically God does this. He does it with Noah. He said, that's the one I remembered. He said, I'm not going to flood the earth anymore. And from now on, whenever it rains, there'll be a rainbow in the sky, and you can remember I'm not going to flood the earth anymore. And that's the one I remembered. He also told Aaron, that, I mean, uh, Abraham, that if you go from here, I'm going to give you a land of your own and an offspring. And so God does this periodically throughout the Old Testament. There's a number of Old Testament um, covenants, and there's one that applies to something called the New Covenant. Next week we're going to celebrate communion. And Jesus is going to say, in the words of institution communion, he's going to say, this cup is the cup of the New Covenant, uh, sealed in my blood. So we too are under a covenant with God, but it's the new covenant, not one of the various old covenants. So, um, I tell you all this because we are reading about the Old Testament uh, uh, covenants, and particularly the, the covenant that God made with David, where he said he was going to bless David. Now, we've been looking at David's life, we've been understanding about the way that David was such a great king, and what we've seen is that this is very much a part of what, what's been going on along. The reason David was a great king wasn't because he was a wonderful person or because he was so holy. He was like a lot of us. 
He was, he was a mixture. There were good things about David, and there were bad things about David. There, there, were, there was ways that he had real insight into God's character, and there were things that he did that were just appalling. David is, is really, like a lot of us, maybe he's, he's more extreme in the good and the bad, but David is by no means a super holy person. The way that David has gotten where he is now is because God has been blessing him. And so for God to say, I'm going to bless you, for God to make a covenant, I'm going to bless you, is really in keeping with what's been going on all along. God has been blessing David from the very beginning. And uh, the, the reason that that's of interest to us is that although we are in a different covenant, we are under a different covenant, the, the new covenant, many of the things we read about David pertain to us as well. God longs to bless us as well. We have learned as we've been through this series um, that we're, we're wrapping up today, we've learned that that God wants to, to, to bless us, that God is not um, an angry God up on the mountain and that we have to periodically appease Him by offering Him a sacrifice because, because He's looking for a reason to come down hard on us. That's not the God we learn about in the Bible. What we learn about in the Bible is a God who is our loving Heavenly Father, and He longs to bless us. And so God establishes some boundaries. He says there's some things you shouldn't do. You shouldn't murder. You shouldn't uh, commit adultery. You shouldn't um, uh, neglect your, your uh, parents or dishonor them. There's things that God has established as kind of the boundaries of His will, but within that, within that big arena of God's will, we're pretty much free to scratch Whatever itches us, whatever itch we have, whatever whatever bugs us, we're to pursue that, and God will bless us as we go about that. We're not supposed to wait for permission or for direction. We're just supposed to dive in, and God will either bless us, or as we see in the lesson today, God will will tell us to stop. But but unless God tells us to stop, we can expect that God will help us because we are His children. He's given us gifts, He's given us talents and abilities, and He gave us the itch to go do something, to make the world a better place, or to make ourselves better people. God gave us these itches, and He wants to to be at work in us and through us. So, that's great because we all want blessings. Right? We either want to make the world a better place. We look around and we say, oh, I wish that the world were a better place. I wish that Aurora hadn't happened. I wish that there wasn't violence or war. Um, I wish there wasn't hunger and poverty. I'd like to do something about that. We, we have a holy itch that we want to scrap. We want to make the world a better place. So we participate in the different things that people do to try to make the world a better place. Or maybe we are sensitive to, to areas in which we fall short ourselves as humans. We say, the itch I've got to scratch is I'd like to be a better person. Maybe the, the way I relate to people. I relate to people badly as a father or as a husband. I'd like to be a better husband. I'd like to be a better uh, a father. Uh, maybe for some of us, I'd like to be a better wife, a better daughter, a, a better mother. Whatever whatever the, the, the particular situation is, we'd like that to be better in how we go about our relating with people. Maybe it's something that's really more internal. That it's something about our, our, you know, it's not so much how we relate to other people, but how we are on the inside. Uh, what kind of stresses one of them? What it is that, that stresses out? Maybe we're angry all the time. Whatever it is that, that, that detracts from our joy, the itch that we would like to scratch, we would like to be better people. Maybe we just like to have better health. 
Um, uh, maybe it's something kind of uh, more complicated. Uh, we're under financial stress, okay? We don't have any margin in our life, and so we're under stress because of that. Uh, we'd like to be in a better position financially because right now, every dollar we make is spoken for, and so we never get to experience generosity or anything like that because the money's already spent before it even arrives. We would like God to help us in any of these different arenas. And so when we read about how God blesses David and how God promises to go on blessing David, our ears should perk up and we should say, I would like that too. I would like to be blessed by God too. And yet sometimes we see as we do in the lesson today that David doesn't get what he wants. David undertakes a project or sets out to to begin a project and God says no. So what do we do with the times when God doesn't bless us? When we say, okay, I'm going to plunge in like David. I'm not going to wait for permission. I'm not going to wait for direction. I'm just going to plunge in because I'm going to assume that that this is the work of God. God has given me this itch, um, and I want to scratch it. And so we start in, and God doesn't agree with us. The itch we have is not an itch that God has. What do we do? Well, that's what this passage of Scripture tells us about. It says that David was king. So we saw last week David had become king. He had established the the civil life and the religious life of of Israel in Jerusalem. And now everything is settled down. He's he's done all the things that were on his his agenda. And he settled in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies all around him. And he gets one of these itches. He gets this holy itch, this, this sense of of something not being right with the world. He gets this incongruous sense, there's something wrong when I'm living in a house of cedar and God's ark is in a tent. He has this itch. I wonder what I should do about that. God's house should be at least as nice as mine. So he says, he says this, Nathan, this is what's bugging me. And Nathan says, sounds great. Go do it. The Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. He says, don't do that. Tell him no. He says, thus says the Lord, are you the one to build me a house to live in? That's a rhetorical question. What it means is, you are not the one to build me a house to live in. He's saying, no, you're not going to be the one who does that. Uh, he doesn't say there's anything wrong with it, although there's a little bit of a hint here. He says, I haven't lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent in a tabernacle. Whenever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people of Israel, saying, Why haven't you built me a house of cedar? He says, God, God says, you didn't even check to see if this is something I want. You know, before you give me a, a gift, maybe you should find out if it's something I want. I don't think this is a really strong review, but I think God is reminding David that he gets a vote too here since it's for him, um, that, that 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 may not be the best gift. God um, wants to be out and among his people. He says a couple of times here, to be among, uh, I was out and among. Um, I think that, that, that this is a caution if we think that God needs to be confined in a box, in a, in a worship facility, a fancy temple. God is okay being out among his people. And we should resist that, that desire, well, let me build you a nice house. Because sometimes God says, that's not something I'm looking for. But I don't think that that's a strong desire. Because he then softens the blow. If, if David is saying, well, wow, I better not ever do anything for God again, 
That's not what God says, because he says, no, look, I took you from the pasture. You were a shepherd, you were, you were a herding sheep, and I picked you from all of Israel, I picked you among all your brothers, and I anointed you and made you king. I picked you to become the prince over Egypt. He says, I've been with you wherever you went. For the last 20 years, you have been on the lamb. The, the, the then king of Israel, Saul, has been trying to kill you, and I've been watching over you, I've been protecting you and taking care of you. And I got you where you are now. So, no, I'm not angry with you. I'm not going to I'm not gonna stop uh, loving you, David. But this, this particular gift isn't what I want from you. Thank you, no. And then he says, I'm going to go on blessing you. He says, there's all these ways that I'm going to bless you. And this is the Davidic covenant. He says, um, he says, this long list of things God's going to do, look for the word will. He says, I will make for you a great name, like the great names of the great ones of the earth. Every king wants that. We know David wants that. David wants a good reputation because the first thing he did when he moved to Jerusalem is he renamed it the city of David. Okay, we saw that back two chapters ago. David wants a great reputation. God says, you got it. He says, okay, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and plant them so they can live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time I appointed judges. So you're going to be the king who puts a stop to all this thing that's been going on for 200 years where Israel has kind of partly been in the land but kind of partly not. I'm going to make you the king that actually establishes secure borders and Israel is going to be a nation state for the first time and it's going to have peace within those borders. He says, moreover, instead of Hi there. Come in. Join us. Hi. I just want to invite the church to the citywide prayer walk. Okay. Okay, why don't you leave that in the back? Okay. Thank you very much. That All right. Certainly. All right. So, he says, I, uh, far from you making me a house, he says, I will make you a house. Now, he doesn't need a, town, uh, a specific building. Dave's already got a very nice one. Um, uh, he says, I will make you a household. I will make you a dynasty. You're going to have... Um, what every king longs for, right? You know the stories. What happens? The king dies in battle, and he's got a two-year-old baby, and then there's the evil stepmother and the evil count, and you know the king gets kind of shoved on one side, he's put in an iron mask, and, and then you know the whole story unfolds. Kings don't like it when they don't have a secure line of succession, because then people fight over who gets the kingdom next. David says, uh, God says to David, don't, don't sweat that. Not going to happen to you. I will give you a secure line uh, forever. You're going to have a king who, who can sit on the throne forever. You're not going to have that thing you read about in all the other stories that, that kings worry about. I will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And says, he, one of them, one of those ancestors, uh, descendants of yours, uh, one of the people you're the ancestor of, is going to build me a house. We'll take care of that house someday, but not you, not now. He says, I'm going to bless you with all the things a king wants. You're going to have peace and security. You're going to have prosperity. You're going to have a secure line of succession. You're going to be famous. What more could you ask? David is going to be blessed by God in every way that he could ask, except the one that David thought of. The one that David thought of was to give God a house. And David and God says... I've got my own plans for that. And that's really what it comes down to. 
It's true that God likes to bless us. It's true that we have a great arena in which we can scratch our own itch. And God will bless that. We don't have to try and intuit what is the one thing in all the universe that God will bless. Because God will bless almost anything we do within this arena. But sometimes God won't. Because God has His own plans. God, in this case, has a plan to bless David with a kingdom. And the reason is because David, God has a plan for a greater kingdom. He says, there will come from your body um, someone I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house in my name. He's talking about Solomon, but he's also looking forward to Jesus. He says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And then he says, about, he says, when he commits iniquity, he's talking about this whole line of kings now. Some of them are not going to be good kings. And, and, and he tells David, when there's a bad king, when he commits iniquity, I will punish him. There's going to be wars and people are going to conquer the kingdom and so forth. I will punish him, but only with a mortal punishment. Only the things that mortals can do. Mortals can reach him in a battle. He says, I will never do for him what I did to Saul. I will never take away my blessing from him. I will never take, give him a divine punishment, only a mortal punishment. He says, I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from Saul. And the reason is because your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. David is told, he's given a hint at least, he's not told any detail, but he's given a hint that God has great plans. He thought he would be a king. He thought he would be a run-of-the-mill Middle Eastern king, one of a dozen different kingdoms that are all scattered around the Middle East. That was David's plan. He wanted to be a good king. And God says, I have really big plans, and you're a part of it. God says, or at least gives David a hint of what we know from the rest of the Bible. He says, there is a kingdom of God that Jesus will come and announce. Jesus will announce the kingdom of God. And to the extent that your kingdom prospers, you point to that. The kingdom of David points to the kingdom of God. And he says, you as king point to the ultimate king, Jesus, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. As you prosper as a king, you prefigure your descendant, Jesus Christ, who will be the great king. God has his own plans and they see ours. And mostly, ours fit in to God's plans. That's why God made these boundaries. Because there's things, anything in there, God can weave together so that everything works out good. But occasionally, God wants to give us a nudge. And when God does, we should let God adjust us. The reason for that is that God wants to incorporate us into His plans the same way He incorporated David. Just as David's kingdom points to the kingdom of God, and just as David prefigures Jesus, God wants our lives to point to His kingdom as well. God wants us to make the world a better place, to point the world to a God that doesn't hate them. That there's a God who loves them and wants to spend eternity with them. God wants us to make the world a better place as a way of pointing to a God who loves them. And God wants us to be better people, again, to point to God. Let me give you an example. If I'm a better father, 
then not just my children, but everybody who knows me has a better idea of what God means when He says, He is our heavenly <coughs> God wants every father on this planet to succeed at being a father. To be a great father, because then people better understand what God means when He says, I am your heavenly father. God wants us to have better marriages. Not simply because He wants us to be happy, but because He wants people around us to be able to look at us and say, oh, that's kind of like what Jesus is talking about when He says that the church is His bride. God wants us to be living examples of what God's plans are for the whole world. That's the reason that God wants to prosper us in these different things we undertake to do. The reason God wants to bless us is because they fit in to this big plan of God's to bless the whole world. So, the way we do that is not by waiting for permission. The way we do it is not by waiting for instructions, but by plunging in like David. And if God blesses us, we should know, we should begin to get a hint within six steps, the way we talked about last week. We should begin to see God blessing us right away. And if God has other plans, notice when God says no, that same night. God doesn't, God's not cruel. God's not going to have you pour your heart into a project. You're going to pour your heart and your time and your money into a project, and then 20 years later you find out, well, I guess God wasn't really in that. God is not cruel. God will bless it or tell you to do something else sooner, not later. So plunge in. Dive into whatever it is. Scratch the itch that God has given you because God wants it to point to Him and His kingdom. Thanks be to God. Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> we might you to stand for our uh, hymn.